be down singing with you folks here this morning. Good. Before I get started, I wanted to um, mention a couple of things in light of uh, Resurrection Sunday coming up. Um, we'll be having a sunrise service starting at six o'clock out at Liberty Pond Park. And um, got one of our men uh, bringing the, the message that uh, service, uh, Eric Robinson. And uh, we're excited about that. And also then we'll have no Sunday school that morning. We'll come in and, and start in uh, with resurrection uh, celebration Sunday morning at 10.15 on the, on the 20th. Um, okay, then... Um, Oh, there was something else, and now I can't get it. Anyway, thank you. Um, th- that's what it was. I wanted to say thank you for you folks that were just praying um, for the, the funeral service yesterday for Xavier. Um, just really wanted to say thank you. And uh, also a, a big thank you to uh, Dave and Melody Kittle and um, Barb and... Peg and Carrie, a number of people that came and helped be the, the food service team at that funeral reception. Thank you very much. We really appreciate that. Um, that was a, a real ministry to the, the family and friends that were here for that funeral reception. Um, just if you think about it, continue to pray for uh, that family and the friends of the family. Um, being a suicide, it's uh, very difficult, very, very difficult to get over. So please continue your prayers in that way. Okay, we're in First Timothy chapter 4, so please turn there. We're starting chapter 4 here this morning in this ongoing study through the little letter of First Timothy. And last week we studied Paul's reason for writing And Paul's reason for writing was about the church. It's about the church and its descriptions. Uh, I mentioned God's, uh, it's God's household. The church of the living God. The pillar and support of the truth. And uh, you see that at the end of chapter 3. And through all that, we tried to remind ourselves that it's not just about um, belief, but belief and behavior. That has to go together in your life. And as we are saying here, we are members of the church. So belief and behavior goes hand in hand. Okay? Belief and behavior. And that's what he uh, spends a lot of time talking about and explaining to us. So that our, our lifestyle would match what we say we believe. Okay? <clears throat> this is a, a very important aspect to all of Paul's letters, okay? But here, at the end of chapter 3, he basically sets up, here's the church, and here's then the gospel. The gospel is always there, if we'll just take the time to look and study. The gospel is always there. And there it is in chapter 3, verse 16, by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who is revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. There's the summary of the gospel. 
so that you and I would follow along with that, track along with that. So it goes hand in hand to go from this great purpose statement at the end of chapter three to a warning statement. Because here he's set up, the, here's the gospel, he set it up, and now he turns right away and, and moves right into, and by the way, here's a warning. And the warning statement is what we're looking at in chapter 4, 1 through 5 of 1 Timothy. Now, think with this, uh, th- through me, with this thought here. Since the gospel of Jesus Christ is, Romans 1, 16, the power of God unto salvation, Right? That's the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Since that's the gospel, here it's uh, the power of God for salvation. Since the gospel of Jesus Christ is the truth about the person of and the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Since the gospel of Jesus Christ is the all-sufficient way, not the portion, not the partial, but the all-sufficient way in which people are delivered from their bondage to sin and the way that they are made right with God, since the gospel of Jesus Christ is the all-glorious centerpiece of God's household, well, then it makes total sense that Paul would immediately put Christians on the watch, on the alert status. Why? Because of the value of the gospel. And so he does that and he he points out how the enemy of God, the devil, works to infiltrate and do his best to bring down the church of the living God. Do you think Satan takes a break? You think the devil wants to stop his assault? Well, in this passage that we look at, Paul credits the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, with a threefold work. Warning the church, number one, warning the church of apostasy. Warning the church of apostasy. And number two, exposing the tactics or the strategies of the enemy. Exposing the enemy's tactics. And number three, reinforcing godly perspective in the minds of believers. So there's our our three points for this message. Warning the church of apostasy, exposing the enemy's tactics, reinforcing godly perspective in the minds of believers. So the Holy Spirit, we start in, 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 it's chapter 4, verse 1 in 1 Timothy Follow along as I read. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected 
if it is to re- if it is received with gratitude for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. So we start with number one, the Holy Spirit warns the church of falling away. And this is the term that you see in your Bible falling away or apostasy, which means that some who profess to be Christian are not true believers. Some who would say, oh, I'm a Christian. But they're not true believers. They will, their false profession will be proven by falling away from the faith. Now, that sounds pretty strong, like strong language. Let's, let's turn to Matthew chapter 13. Turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 13. And we want to look at a couple of verses here and then look at another reference about this very issue of apostasy. Matthew 13, starting at verse 3, and he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places, verse 5, other seed fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. There's the picture of falling away right there. Okay? Turn over to 1 John, towards the back of your Bible, before you get to Revelation, the little tiny letter of 1 John, chapter 2, verse 19. Let's look at verse 18 to get started rolling in it. Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming Even now, many antichrists have appeared. And from this, we know that it is the last hour. That relates to what Paul's saying here, that the Spirit tells us in the last times. Well, here's the the last times that biblical authors are referring to. From the point of, here's the, the resurrection of Christ and his ascension. Now it becomes, you know, here's the last hours. It's a, a period of time that isn't defined specifically other than here it is. We're, we're living in the last times. Okay. He goes on to say in verse 19, verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. And that's referring again to people that say they have a a profession of faith, but it's not a genuine one. It's a false one. Now, why would people do that? Well, it's hard to say there's one reason why. Sometimes it's for, it might be for, um, you know, following just the crowd. There's, There's people that follow Jesus 
And in John chapter 6, it reports how many of the disciples stopped following him. They turned and left. Much due to the difficult things that Jesus taught. Have you ever come across difficult things that Jesus taught in your reading? Yeah. And some people would just say, no, that, no, I'm done. And they walk away. But they had professed to be believers. Okay, so Paul says, the, going back to 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says that falling away from the faith, that's an important little word, the article, the faith. That's what he's saying there. They're falling away from the faith. And that's the, the body of truth that we just covered is here's the gospel. And it shows this little article. The commentators say that shows Paul using the term objectively, not subjectively. In other words, it's not just your experience of faith. I mean, we, we all say we have an experience of faith. Well, he's not talking about your experience, your subjective perspective on it he's talking about the the objective body of truth that we call the faith and people turned away fell away from it okay so he's not talking about the experience of believing talking about that they rejected the body of truth of the the gospel now listen in this it's like many other letters in the new testament that are giving us warning the great danger for Christians is to substitute something for the gospel. Or maybe a better word is supplement something with the gospel. You and I do it all sorts of times. We, we do something, uh, it's like we might sin. And so we think, oh, I did it again and I sinned again. And so I, I think my good behavior and my better effort next time will, will what? Will result in more approval from God. You and I do that. We're, we, we are so prone to performance-based Christian living. Now, it's important that we deal with the sin in the right way. We confess sin and we move on and, you know, receive his forgiveness and and grow in faith more and more. But when we start doing things in such a way that supplements or substitutes something for the gospel, then we're really starting on the pathway of you know, we've added something now, right? We've added something to the gospel. And it's not the, the unbelievers that are guilty of this. It's believers that are guilty of this. Because we're prone to want to, you know, show I'm good enough. I, I, I've, I've climbed the ladder enough to show I'm, I'm, uh, I gain God's approval here. Well, that's really this, the, the starting point of turning away from the sufficiency of Jesus Christ alone. Okay? Because it was his work, his perfect work, where he cried from the cross, it is finished. It was a perfect work that was accomplished. So, there's this warning 
that people can fall away from the faith. Well, he goes on. Number two, he exposes, the Holy Spirit exposes the enemy's tactics. Let's continue on in our reading here in 1 Timothy 4. Some will fall away from the faith, and notice how. Paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Okay? So apostasy starts where? Paying, listen, paying attention to. It starts in your mind. It starts in your mind. You start paying attention to things in such a way that diverts you off the path that God has for you. Okay? So, it's in regards to getting mentally fixed on teaching, which is a good thing. We need good teaching, sound doctrine. But if we aren't alert, we can be duped. There's a book that I brought up here. Um, It's called Fool's Gold. If you want to study more about this, this is one book that you ought to get. And it's uh, called Fool's Gold, great title, Discerning Truth in an Age of Error. Now, it's written by a number of authors. It's not just by one author. It's it's a kind of composium on on this topic. But I want to read this to you, some of these lines here. And um, the general editor is John MacArthur. But there's other authors in this. So here's what he says in part of the introduction. If you think everything you you read or hear on Christian radio and television is reliable teaching, then you are a prime target for doctrinal deception. Okay? You can't go to the radio programs. You can't go to the bookstores. You can't go to the internet and just say, oh, it's got a Christian label on it. You have to be discerning. Because if you are not, if you just look at it and say, oh, that's Christian. You're a prime target to be deceived. Okay? So... The idea is that we would grow and mature in discernment. Who, who is Paul writing to? He was writing to Timothy. And who, what was Timothy doing? He was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And they're saying, hey, watch out. There's going to be deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Nah, not at the church of Ephesus. Come on. Yeah. Mark down Acts chapter 20. You don't need to turn there, but Acts chapter 20. Paul talks to the elders at the church of Ephesus saying, from within your group, there can arise savage wolves. What? Savage wolves? Isn't that a little heavy, Paul? Calm down. No, he's talking about teaching, about doctrine, and how critical it is. So he uses the terms to get our attention. Savage wolves. We, we, we need to be a people that are on the alert. And if we're not, then we're wide open to deception. Have you ever had that guy show up at the door or that person be on the phone and you end up realizing you just got conned? 
if you haven't, be alert. Your time might just be coming. All sorts of ways. And yes, in spiritual things, deception happens. Why? The enemy is at work. The enemy of God is at work. He never rests. He'll just keep coming. Trying to deceive. Another quote from this book, as in the days of the early church, doctrinal error is all around us. And it often, it looks very good. That's why so many fall prey to its deception. And that is also why God gave us his word, the Bible, so that we have a measuring stick by which to examine every spiritual or theological message that we encounter. It's not just to help us to say, oh, I, I, I read it and I feel good. No, it's, it's much more than that. It's nice that we can hear a psalm being read and find hope and comfort in that, but it's, it's about truth. Truth is... Here's the, here's the teaching of truth. And we need to be learning about the enemy's tactics. So pay attention to the truth, the, the word of God. You know, this is a good book, but you know what's better? The more you are reading the Bible, the more you are preparing yourself for every day. The more you're then recognizing the truth because it's the genuine article versus the counterfeit. And you've heard it before, the illustration of, you know, money handlers. They, they study what? They study the false thing or the real thing? They study the real thing. So they can recognize any of the falsities or fallacies of the, the counterfeit money. Study the real thing. Be in the word. And don't just keep it to the book of Philippians for the hundredth time. Get in the Old Testament. Be reading the word of God. Read the word of God. Okay? So, back to 1 Timothy 4 here. He says that they will pay attention to deceitful spirits. You know what a, a good way to describe that is? Is just teachers. Teachers. Here's deceitful spirits. They're teachers. And here's their content. Doctrine of demons. Okay. And it's not just, you know, th- this is where it gets subtle. There's a lot of subtleties here, folks. If you're really wanting to track in this... Don't, don't just assume that some guy is going to walk in, you know, with the red suit and the tail kind of sticking out of his coat back here and he's, and he's got the weird look on it. All that. No, he's not going to come and be obvious. It's going to be subtle. It'll be very subtle. And it'll sound biblical. It'll sound good. Why? Because that's what deception is trying to do. Just get you off course just a little bit. And so much of it in our day and age with our country, with our background and our upbringing, so much of it is designed with this idea in mind. It's, it's you, brother. It's all about you, sister. 
and then you, you start building this idea up in mind that it's almost like God's there. At, you know, God do this. God do this. Why, why isn't God doing this? God's not there for you. You're here for God. <laughs> We've got to turn the table on it. America is a wonderful country. Yes, it's going down real quick, real fast. There's problems, you know? But the thing is, we've, we've been blessed in a wonderful way with our country. Our freedoms, all that. And yet, it's so easy to, you know, bring that kind of thinking and that philosophy into our Christian living. Western, Western civilization affects how we view the Bible. And all too often, it, 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 we read the Bible with this, our lenses on saying it's all about me. No, it's not. And so we need to, you know, recognize the subtleties of this. And it's not, listen, it's not just about the cults, Latter-day Saints, Jehovah's Witnesses, Christian science. It's not just about the cults that have, oh, oh they've got all the deceptive, deceiving spirits and the doctrine of demons over there. No. It's just as, uh, it can be just as powerful, if you will, in evangelical Bible churches. Because of the thing I mentioned earlier, it's so easy uh, for us to move towards saying, oh, you know, we uh, just add this little kind of tradition to our lives. You know, this is what we do. This is what we Parksiders, you know, have in common, you know. And, and it's little things like that that we add to the gospel and we don't want to add to the gospel because the equation that we've heard in the past is Jesus plus nothing is approval with God, is right standing with God. But the false teachers are saying Jesus plus this, and then you'll really be spiritual. Jesus plus this, and then, oh, wow, you, you, you're going to get on the, the uh, board out in the hallway for, you know, faithful givers or whatever. So we have to be alert to that, okay? Uh, Jesus plus uh, rituals. Jesus plus observance of special days. Uh, all those kind of things. We, we have to call ourselves down on that and say, don't go there. So it's a very subtle issue intended to deceive believers. And it's along with, you know, the curriculum, if we could say it that way. Here's their curriculum, the doctrine of demons. Well, just what is that? It's uh, done, uh, I'm sorry, in, uh, we said it starts in the mind and then letter B under number two, it's uh, following the lead or if you will, following in the steps of hypocrisy. This is where it gets really um, challenging, believer. Okay? In verse 2 it says, by means of. So they're paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of. Here's the, the vehicle of these teachers. They're hip, hypocrites. Hypocrisy of liars. That's their true character. And notice what it how it describes them, the, the hypocrisy of liars who are seared 
in their own conscience as with a branding iron. It's interesting to hear in Sunday school in this auditorium uh, in our class uh, how uh, we started talking about that, the idea of your conscience. Well, that's what Paul addresses Timothy about, is having a, a pure conscience in chapter 1. And here he, he approaches it, you know, where it's gone bad. Okay? The idea of searing, uh, that seared in their own conscience is an act done in some part of, like, uh, if the term is used to, uh, uh, where we get cauterized. You, you cauterize a wound or whatever. You, you understand that. And what, it, what is it, what is its goal? Is to, cause there to be uh, insensitivity to pain you uh, you know go desensitized as, as we say well we take it another couple of steps we say well it gets hardened it's your calloused in your conscience okay so and this is also the, the this phrase seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron it's also used to describe the practice of branding one's slave in order to identify them as such. Now listen, here's where it's important for us to track with this, why this is put in this way, by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. The idea behind true teaching is that when we spend time in the word, When you spend time in the word, reading, studying, listening to sound doctrine, preaching, etc. That the word of God has a job that it will do in your life. And that is to confront sin. That is to confront our rebellion, our own selfish ways and bring conviction. But also to exalt Christ. That's the idea in the word of God. That you and I spend time in that so that... These things will be happening in our lives. But with these, quote, false teachers, there would not be honest response or honest dealing with the counsel of the word of God. They'll take it in, but they don't, they, you know, it's taken in mentally and they they might understand it, but it's not bringing about life change. Now, what happens? What happens when that is the case? We're raising hypocrites. When we know the right things, but our lives don't respond to it, there's there's that separation now. Between what? What I said at the beginning. Belief and behavior. So, this is very important here. Realize, Christian, that this is the subtle way of falling away. When we do not respond to the truth with trust and obey, there, for there is no other way, right? When we don't do that in a consistent fashion, we're, we're targets now for falling away. Because we're, we're not leaning on Jesus. How do you lean on Jesus in your Christian life? Well, it's through the word. Growing in the knowledge and the grace of the word of God. So, 
when we don't respond, we bring on the hardening process to our own lives. That's why he brings up this issue of the hypocrisy of liars. Okay? That's how it can start happening in your life and mine. Well, then next we see, here's their, uh, their talking points. The third point under number two, their talking points. Look at verse three. It says, here are these guys. They're men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. Okay? And you say, well, wait a minute. These two things, they're making such a big deal about uh, forbidding marriage or advocating abstaining from foods. What's the big deal here? Why is that such a, a deal? Here's why it's important. These were issues back in the day that were happening where teachers were saying abstain from marriage and or forbidding marriage and abstain from foods. But the thing is, it's what we see in our present day also. You know, in Catholicism, what, what happens? Catholicism talks about well, you know, the priests are not supposed to get married. Um, there at least used to be in the old days, you know, abstaining from food, certain foods. Well, and that's just one example. And there's other things that kind of follow in this train of thought. What is it? They serve as added features to one's standing with God. The design behind such thinking is there's more that you can do to gain more of God's approval. So let's abstain from marriage and let's abstain from certain foods. Because behind that was this little uh, issue, this guilt trip thing of, well, you'll be more spiritual if you do this. So both forms are what we would call self-abasement giving things up in the effort to become godlier. And if I stop doing this, or if I stop doing that, I will be godlier in God's eyes. Well, that's, that's just more and more religion being piled on to our lives. Do this, and do this, and do this, and then God will really bless your life. Behind this is, is, is some of the teaching of prosperity, health, wealth, and fame, or whatever you call that movement. You know, remember your flesh and my flesh <laughs> will never be defeated by rules and regulations. Your flesh, you, you can't beat your flesh. Jesus did though. Do you get that? Do you like that? Jesus won it. Jesus defeated sin. Jesus defeated the devil. Jesus at, at the cross. He claimed the victory. He purchased the victory there. And so that's why we will celebrate and remember his death through these elements that we'll take here in, in a little bit. So just know that, you know, the rules and regulations, you can look that up in Colossians chapter 2. Add that to your notes. Okay. So the working of God's spirit in the church, the working of the Holy Spirit in the church is 
to warn the church and believers of apostasy and to expose the tactics of the enemy. And then number three, he wants to reinforce godly perspectives in the mind of the believer. And this is where a lot of us um, struggle because we depend on old things that happened long ago. We depend on things that happened, you know, like I, I made my profession of faith and I was baptized back then. But no, God wants this ongoing trust in him. He wants you to continue trusting him and putting into action, ap- apply the truths of his word into your daily walk so that belief and behavior are married like that. Okay? So look at verse 3. He continues on saying, these are the guys they forbid marriage and they advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. Did you see that? God's created things to be gratefully shared by those who know, uh, who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. So if we live by godly perspectives, principles of the word, we would then see more and more godly practices and habits developed in our lives as we continue on with that, those perspectives. Okay? Simply put, what are the perspectives that he brings up here? It's this. God wants you, if you're a Christian, God wants you to enjoy God. Do you enjoy God? Or do you fear God in a, in a way that is like you can't draw near to him? He wants you to enjoy God. And he wants you to enjoy his gifts. Are you enjoying the blessings of God? And you all say, oh, yeah. I mean, that's a no-brainer, Woody. Really? You stop and think about it. How is your response to the you know, things going on? And my response, a lot of times, to things going on in a general case, I can go to complaining. Do you? You get into complaining spirit? And see, that's the simplicity of this. In responding to issues of life with complaints and murmurings, you know, we're all used to that. We all know about that. And it's like, yeah, life's tough. What has God created? You know, well, he created the universe. Have you ever gone out lately at night and looked up into the stars and just worshipped him? Have you really relished a wonderful, healthy meal? You know what? This is God's hand of goodness to you. You stop and give him thanks for the shelter over your head. I mean, you know, it's so easy for Americans to get into complaint mode. American Christians to get into complaint mode. So engage with a grateful heart in all of things of life. 
in everything. That's basically what he's saying. Everything created by God is doubtful. Let's analyze this. (laughs) No. Everything created by God is good. Give him thanks and praise him. Enjoy God. Enjoy who God is. Rejoice in him. Give him praise. And here, for these two things he mentions, he says, these teachers, these false teachers, they forbid marriage. If you're married, enjoy being married. Uh, I've been married for 36 years. You've been married for 56 years or 46 years. See, it's all a matter of perspective, isn't it? We stink. A lot of the times we stink at perspective. Why? Because my focus is on my problem. My focus is on in the wrong place. There's Jesus, high and lifted up. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And you know what? You can start building up the blessings of being married for however many years. If you're single, rejoice in that. What? Yeah. Yeah. Just start, you know, if you haven't already learned about rejoicing in it, start learning. Start. Figure out ways in which to be a blessing to other people. Yeah. It might be that you, you want to continue saying, God, please bring along the right partner for me. Great. Do that. But rejoice in what he's given you. Rejoice in these things. Rejoice in the bounty of physical delights. Rejoice in that. Now, be careful. Let's not go overboard in uh, all the physical delights. I'm not talking about going hog wild or whatever. You know, I just, just rejoice in the right, appropriate kind of way that God tells us how to rejoice in these things. Listen. Make a note to yourself. The path that leads away from God is the path of ingratitude. If your life has a lot of complaints that you're chewing on and focusing on, you're on a pathway away from God. It's the path of doubting the goodness of God. And that's what starts coming in. We start doubting the goodness of God. So guard against apostasy. Guarding against apostasy means the Christian will persevere in the truth by giving thanks and affirming over and over again, affirming that God is what? Good. And this is one way in which Scripture tells us to be on the alert. Be on the alert. Whether it's good times or bad times, affirm God's goodness in your heart and in your life. 
and give him thanks and rejoice in him. Okay. Um, Let's shift in our time now and um, let's get our hearts ready and prepared for uh, receiving communion. If you're here visiting, um, we just want to mention this. Communion is for everyone who professes and claims Christ as their Lord. You don't have to be a member of the church here. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're welcome to partake of these elements. These elements have special meaning. And, you know, it's the cracker or the bread that we have signifies his body given over as a sacrifice, like the the lamb, the body of a lamb given over as, as the sacrifice for our sins. And the cup that you'll hold is significant of his shed blood that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. There had to be a life given for a life. And in this case, it was one life, a perfect life, given for a multitude of people who will believe. And thus, through faith in Christ, become children of God. So, it's a time to remember. We, we quiet our hearts and we remember that Christ died on the cross. And in dying on the cross, he fully satisfied God's law. And he also fully satisfied the wrath of God against sin. That's why Christians can say, I am delivered. I am saved. Saved from what? I'm saved from the the wrath of God to come. For those that don't have Christ as their savior, you will have the wrath of God fall upon you in the end. Unless you come to faith in Christ and put your trust in him and run to him like he's the refuge where you run for shelter from the coming storm of God's wrath against sin. Put your faith in Christ. Trust in him. You can do that right now. You can say, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I've rebelled and sinned against God. I know I deserve nothing but condemnation and death and separation from God. I receive the gift of salvation that is in Jesus. You can do that right now. You can receive the gift of salvation that is in Jesus Christ and be forgiven and be pardoned. And it comes in this, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You can do that right where you're at. You don't have to make some entrance up here and bow down at, at the altar here or anything. You don't have to, you know, there's, not, there's a lot of things you don't have to do, but there's only one thing you must do, and that is believe in Jesus Christ. Put your faith in him. And that's not just a mental assent belief. Oh, I got that. No, it's a belief that transcends in, in here's, here's my, my very will that's affected now. I have bowed the knee and I've confessed with my tongue that Jesus is Lord. So we remember that he's the perfect one. And we remember what he accomplished at Calvary. His body was given over to taking your punishment. His blood was poured out 
shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Then it's not just a time to remember, but a time to reflect, okay, how am I living? What's my life like? How's my walk with the Lord Jesus Christ? Every one of us knows we need to be, you know, drawing nearer to him each and every day. Okay. So let's go ahead and ask the men who are serving to come at this point. If you, in your own seat, uh, just sitting right now, just please remember what Christ accomplished at Calvary on your behalf. Ask God to lead and guide and direct in your heart as you think these things over, as you think about your life, as you consider these issues. Ask God to help you to draw near to him. He'll draw near to you. Isn't that wonderful? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, how great thou art. We humble ourselves and we bow before you. And we know that were it not for Jesus Christ, we would be a damned people. We would be a condemned people. But we can come confidently before you, O God, because of Jesus Christ, because Now, through faith in Christ, His righteousness is now my righteousness. My sin was put on Him. What an amazing exchange. Thank You, Lord Jesus, for absorbing the the wrath of a holy God at Your death. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for taking my shame, hanging there, beaten and bloodied and bruised, taking what I deserved. Lord, please, by your Spirit, speak to our hearts and help us to draw near to you and and help us to do good business with you in this time of wanting to grow in our faith, wanting to lean on your grace ever, ever more. We stand upon Jesus and what he's accomplished. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving yourself over to our salvation. Guide and direct here in this moment, this time. Amen.
Again, this is uh, simply a representation of Jesus' body given for us at the cross. Peter says it this way, while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you are healed. You believe? Let's partake together. And again, dear Lord, we bow, giving you thanks that Jesus came and was a blood sacrifice, a perfect blood sacrifice. The symbol of the lifeline of an individual is the blood. And he poured out his life, shedding his blood, so that we might be made right with God. Thank you, O Lord. Thank you, and we praise you.
Peter continues on. Chapter 1 tells us, Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. But you are redeemed with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Believe, partake. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. And uh, that's only done by his grace. And we're going to close our service right now um, just with a reminder about our benevolence giving. If you are able to help in that way to minister to our people in our congregation uh, and in our community as we can be of help to them. Uh, your faithful giving in that way is a, is a big encouragement. And um, we want to uh, close our time in prayer. So let's stand together and uh, we'll close. Thank you, God, for how great you are. Thank you, O oh Lord, for your, uh, your work in creation and your work in salvation. And Lord, we pray that for those of us who proclaim the name of Jesus and claim to be Christians, that our, our profession would more and more line up with a, a godly practice. Help us, O oh Lord, shine as lights in a dark world. And help us, O oh Lord, to be people that are more and more absorbed with your word. Lord, please uh, have your way with us. Help us to yield to you and submit to you. Help us, Lord, to rejoice in you. Help us, Lord, to be an encouragement to other people. And help us always to remember the amazing grace of God by which we are saved and by which we live. So we thank you, dear God, for our time. We thank you that we have been able to come and worship you. Lord, there's no greater thing. Uh, help us, we pray, as we go out this day and through that throughout this week to be walking close with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless.